0: How does the Bible apply to America today? That's a more complicated question than it sounds, or perhaps I might say that a lot of people make it a lot more complicated than it should be. On this week's episode 144 of the Liberty Cafe, we're going to examine this question in the context of how we might apply the First Commandment to the United States. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe where pressure is on the menu. Hi, I'm Bill Peacock, and welcome to the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing to have you here with me today. And it's also a blessing for us to be sponsored by Texas Scorecard, a great group of men and women fighting for liberty here in Texas and in the United States. So please go on over to score- texasscorecard.com and listen in to this podcast and others, and read the articles, and find out what you can do to take part in the fight for liberty. As I mentioned in the intro, we're going to talk today about how the Bible applies to America. And particularly, we're going to look at how the first commandment might apply to the United States. So let's examine this by starting with the premise, and I know this is kind of radical, but we're going to give it a go, with the premise that God created the heavens and earth. Of course, not everybody's going to agree with that, these opening words of the Bible, but they are either true or they are not true. There's no in-between. There's no gray area here. They are black and white, true or not true. God either exists or he doesn't exist, and he either created the heavens and the earth or he didn't. So, if God exists, and He created the heavens and earth, then as our Creator, He has the right to tell us what to do. After all, this is His world, and we are His creation. And if He does tell us what to do, which is what He does in the Bible, we are obligated to Him, our Maker, to do what He tells us. Of course, unbelievers will deny all this. But for our purposes today, we're going to stick with the Bible and what it tells us. God created the heavens and the earth. Yet, and this is where it gets a little more complicated than I think it should, even among Christians, there are some who would deny the broad application of God's word to American culture today, to our culture and to our governments, how our world is supposed to work outside a sort of inside-the-church spiritualization of God's Word. Now, I think what is behind some of that is a fear by a lot of people, at least, of what has been called or labeled today Christian nationalism. Nationalism, of course, has been used of late, in particular, as, as a term to replace the world patriotism in an attempt to smear Americans who support the general principles on which our country was founded. By calling them, or us, Nationalists, the idea is to lump all of us who support this traditional values upon which our country was founded in with the National Socialist of Hitler's Germany, otherwise known as Nazis. And, of course, the term Christian nationalist was coined for much the same reason, to equate Christians who want to apply God's word to our culture and our government as Nazis. Now, of course, I'm not here claiming that all Christians who shun the term or fear the term Christian nationalism are calling those of us who would support the term, in some sense, Nazis. That's not at all the case. But, but neither am I. And I'm not either here to def- actually defend the term Christian nationalism. But, but I, I do think that Christians should be able to work with this term. And, and this is a really pretty straightforward, I think. Do we think that it's a better idea to live in a nation, to live in tribes, or to live under one world government. Because those are really our only choices in this world. If you say that you're happy with living in a nation, which of course we all are, then that makes you a nationalist. Unless you want to go to a tribal government, or, or um, a one world government, or some kind of anarcho-capitalism where we all get to rule ourselves individually, you're basically a nationalist. And then the question becomes at that point, since you're a nationalist, do you want your nation to be Christian or non-Christian? If you say Christian, and of course you should, then voila, you've become a Christian nationalist. Now, I don't want to take us down the road into the debate over Christian nationalism. That's not why I'm here today. But what I do want to do is is in the few minutes that we have is to to think about how we might apply the first commandment to the United States of America. So with that as the background, let's take a look at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. But of course, I can't quite go forward at that point because we have to look at the preamble to the Ten Commandments. And it says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And from there it goes into the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And, and then it goes on to the other nine. I have a friend that I talked to a fair amount about issues like this. And who says we can't talk about the Ten Commandments without putting them in the context of the preamble of the Ten Commandments. And I agree with him 100%. In fact, we can't read and discuss any part of the Bible without putting it in the proper context. And that's what I'm going to try and do right now. For my friend, putting the Ten Commandments in context means that it only applies to the people who were delivered out of the land of Egypt by God. So that would be the the ancient Israelites and the, the nation of ancient Israel. And so for him, the Ten Commandments would have no direct applications to a country like the United States today. Now, he doesn't just reject them at all, but he does spiritualize the commandments to apply them to Christians today because we too, we Christians too, like the Israelites of old, have been delivered by God out of slavery. He also, though, allows... For this concept of general equity and that comes out of the reformed tradition which which is not a it's not bad i think there's more to it though i think the reformed tradition has missed some things on there at least one uh facet of the reformed tradition it's it's more than just general equity but what that means is that there are some underlying principles in each of the ten commandments and of other old testament law for that matter that were applied to Israel that we can also apply to our laws in the United States today. But again, I think we need to go farther than that. Even though I haven't done a comprehensive study that I can walk through exegetically my answers here, I think that for every one of the commandments in the Ten Commandments that were given to Israel, we can find other passages in the Bible. That apply the Ten Commandments to all of mankind. So just a couple of examples. Uh, So, for example, when we have, we looked at the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, we can find plenty of other places in the Bible where the word of God tells us not to kill each other. And I believe we can do the same thing with the first commandment that we're looking at today. So, for instance, we might look to Genesis 4, where both Cain and Abel were obligated to sacrifice out of their fat portions, to God. They were to worship Him and no one else. Or Genesis 6, where the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Well, presumably, He saw this wickedness of man in the earth because they had put other gods before Him. They were not worshiping Him as they should. And, of course, part of worshiping God means obeying Him and His commandments. And... There were no Ten Commandments at that point in time, yet there were still laws in the heart and some other perhaps explicit things that we see in the Bible and maybe some inexp- some other things that aren't quite so clear that put this obligation of mankind to worship God. And so because of that, and partly because of that anyway, God came and flooded the earth. So even if we take into account the preamble. With this background that the application to Israel that would mean that there are plenty of other places in the Bible where the obligation to worship God is not just on the people of Israel but on all mankind. So if that's the case it seems to me then we have to say that there is little of if any difference between the application of the first commandment to Israel and the United States or, more specifically, the people of the United States. Now, I think it's important for us to to look at this in the context of people, rather than just the United States as a country or as a government. Because, in reality, and I think people get confused about this, there is no United States or United States government without people. The only reason there is an America is because there are Americans. The only reason there is an American government, or a Texas government, or a Hayes County government, which is where I live in Texas, uh, there's none of those governments exist without the people who populate them, and the people who elect those people, and the people who are ruled by the government. Right. So the, that's we we don't have government. We don't have countries, nations, states, whatever without people. And so when we apply God's laws to America today, they apply first to people. So thinking in the context of the first commandment, obviously all Israelites were obligated to worship no God but God. But I I just can't avoid seeing the fact in the Bible That this also applies to Americans, or we might call them American subjects, because those are the people who are subject to the laws of America, right? And if that's the case, this would include all of us, not just average ordinary citizens, but the President of the United States, members of Congress, judges, mayors, people inside of government, people outside of government. Of course, none of us are outside of government because, again, we elect these people, we're ruled by it. So the first commandment applies to all aspects of American society. We have an obligation under God to worship him. And as I mentioned before, this obligation also comes with a requirement to obey him. So all Americans, including the rulers and the electorate, are obligated to worship and obey God. W- which means that not only should we, the people of the United States, honor their obligations to worship and obey God, just like the Israelites did, but also that the laws of the United States should reflect this obligation. And I, I would suggest that if we go to Matthew 28, my argument is Strengthen Matthew 28 is the Great Commission where Jesus Christ told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So a lot of people thinking about the Great Commission think we're supposed to go disciple people. And of course that is true. But What Jesus tells us is not to go disciple people, but to disciple nations. And those nations, which of course, as we've talked about, are made up of people, are discipled in in how to obey what Jesus has taught us in the Bible. Which of course would include not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, because the whole Bible is the word of Jesus Christ. So the, the implication of all this is that nations are not worshiping God or obeying God at that time. And so the, the church has to go out and bring the nations into compliance. And I would suggest one of the things we have to be brought into compliance with here in the United States and elsewhere is with the first commandment. So now that I've walked through all this background, uh, let's look at a few concrete examples of how this might work out in the United States. One of those these examples is that we should have laws outlawing murder. That's easy. We've got the Sixth Commandment, but lots of other places in the Bible I think we can, we can find laws against murder. But when we're talking about outlawing murder, we just can't pick and choose what group of people we can and cannot murder. We're going to murder these... We can't murder these people over here, but we can murder those people over there. So that would mean that we can't have laws that outlaw murder for everybody except for, for instance, children in their mother's wombs. Another way of saying that, of course, is that abortion should be illegal in the United States if we're truly applying the first commandment to the United States of America. Now, there's a big debate out there, and this showed up in the, the presidential debate that went on last night, right before I recorded this, about whether you know the states should be outlawing abortion or the federal government should be outlawing abortion. And, and that debate has to, well, I'm not sure this debate, that they're talking about, when they're talking about it on the presidential debate stage, whether they're really thinking this through like this. But from my perspective, that comes down to a debate about the constitutional nature of our country and how our Constitution set up a system of federalism. But we're not going to get into that today, whether the states are the appropriate ones to do this or the federal government or both. But I think the laws of all the states of the United States should reflect the fact that we shouldn't murder our babies. And we could go on and cover a lot more social issues in this discussion, but but I really think those are, are no-brainers. I mean, God's prohibitions against immoral behavior should be reflected in all the laws of this country. So we're going to defer some specific talk about those to perhaps another time. But the, the one thing I would say here is just that our laws should neither promote nor pay for immoral behavior. And you can imagine some of those uh, issues that are out there in the public sphere today that 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 concept might apply to. But but let's look at a couple of economic or, or regulatory issues as we close up here. For instance, let's just look at taxation. God is Lord, and we should have no other gods before him. Therefore... And this is pretty straightforward. The government shouldn't have enough revenue to start acting like it is God. I think that's a pretty good reflection of the first commandment as we look at our laws today. So it shouldn't have enough money to take care of our every need. Or at least our every need is defined by the government. Because here's what happens. When the government starts paying for or providing for every need, it starts taking on the characteristics of God. Or at least some part of the characteristics of God. Or at least it acts as if it is. It starts acting as if it is God as well. And of course, that's the problem with all humankind, is that we want to usurp God's authority. Adam and Eve did that in the garden the people at the tower of babel were trying to do that they were trying to dis, they were disobeying god by not scattering over the earth being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth but they were also doing it by building this tower to reach up to heaven because they were going to occupy heaven rather than having god come down here to earth and, and so that's the problem that we face when the government grows too big and has too much revenue and then, of course, we also start doing that, right? When the government starts acting like this, or even when it doesn't, we still want it to be. A lot of people, or all of us at some level, want it to be like that. We, we start looking to government for some sort of salvation. And we've seen this in recent years, for instance, in the Messiah complex, or even cult, you might call it, that rose up around Barack Obama. So our taxes should be low if... They are going to reflect the first commandment in our country. Well, how low? Well, we have to look to the rest of the Bible for how low that should specifically be. but and, and that can get very complicated. I would suggest, if we want to really go into detail, we would say that taxes should not be collected to pay for things that are not authorized. The government is not authorized to do under the Bible. Now, that's a, a lifetime's worth of work right there. So for our purposes right here, let's just say that 10% of our income, which is the tithe that the church is required, we are tired to give to the church, is a pretty good level for the taxation from all levels of government. I think that's a good place for us to start. That The, the government taxes shouldn't be more than the tithe, and that means that our total level of taxation to our local governments our state governments and our federal governments shouldn't exceed about 10 percent of our increase or our income and then let's finish up with one more example here Uh, the regulatory state today so some call it you know it's a regulatory state others call it the administrative state or even the deep state but but i'd suggest that the regulatory state or whatever we want to call it, is another way in which the government has become an idol to many, and in many ways in which the government has sought to replace God in our lives. So I'd suggest that the first commandment here would lead us toward dismantling the administrative state in the United States of America today. We could also look to the system of government in the Old Testament for some help on this. So, of course, there are were, there were laws in the Old Testament Now, not as many laws as we face today, and that's another issue that is related to all this. But there are a lot of laws still laid down in the Old Testament for Israel to follow. But how are these laws enforced? Well, not through some regulatory, administrative, deep state. It was mainly through the courts. There was no regulatory state that we have today, or administrative state, that creates new laws for itself that polices the laws for itself and judges the laws for itself. Remember, we have branches of government. We have the judicial branch, and we have the executive branch, and we have the congressional or the legislative branch. Well, today, in today's administrative state, all those have joined together. But that's not the way it was in, in Old Testament Israel. Instead, if somebody did something wrong, the person who was wrong would generally bring a suit against that person in the courts and then the courts would determine innocent or guilt and if guilt was found then the courts would apply the appropriate penalties and all that and so putting that in place today in the United States helping us to abolish the administrative state and putting our country in alignment with the first commandment would mean that we would dismantle most of the regulatory administrative state and replace it with enforcement of our laws, which need to be reduced, through the police and the courts, both civil courts and criminal courts, when and if a crime was committed. So gone would be the days where we have all these laws in place that are designed to prevent us from breaking other laws. And therefore people become criminals today not because they have done something immoral or morally wrong, but because they've broken some obscure regulation that was designed to prevent them from doing something immoral or wrong in another way. Well, that's our look at applying the First Commandment to the United States of America today. And I really appreciate you being here with us. On this day, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you go to my website, excellentthought.net, you can find an email to uh, send something to me. And, uh, or or you just let me give it you, to you here, policy at tortillacoast.net. I'd love to know your thoughts about this. And I'd also just love to thank the sponsor for the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at TexasScorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.